0: In this week's episode of The Truth About Business, you'll discover these three golden business insights. Number one, the power of focusing on asking, what if, instead of wondering, if only. Number two, why taking over an existing business and implementing a new culture can be more challenging than starting from scratch. And number three, how if you're already driven, having access to great mentors is like adding rocket fuel to an already burning inferno. So, stay tuned for all of that and so much more on this week's episode of The Truth About Business. I'm Benjamin Brain, and by day, I'm a director of a multi award winning family run business. And by night, I interview successful business owners to share their journeys, experiences, and truths to serve as inspiration motivation and first-hand education for like-minded entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to fast-track our own business success. This is the truth about business told by those who have been there, done that and have the scars to prove it. From the good times to the bad, the marketing strategies and sales tactics to the productivity hacks and success habits. I'm here to give you the de-sugar-coated version of what it's really like and what really works. If you're thinking of starting a business or are already in business, I created this for you. So let's get started. In this week's episode, I talk business with Gareth Love. After starting out at his parents' estate agency just half an hour after receiving his GCSE results, Gareth's path soon led him away from the family business and into the world of mortgages. It was something he soon found he not only had a raw passion for, but was also very good at. After riding out the financial crisis back in 2008, Gareth found himself in the company of some outstanding mentors, which led him to acquiring an existing mortgage business in August 2018. Since then, he's grown the business from eight mortgage advisors to over 30 with a back-end admin team and has transformed the culture, results and growth of the business through a strong set of core values and a genuine passion for helping his team to be the very best versions of themselves. To find out more about Gareth and the services he provides, check him out on LinkedIn under Gareth Love. This was another brilliant interview with an inspirational entrepreneur who has his sights set on the very top and knows with absolute certainty that he'll do whatever it takes to get there. He'll leave you feeling inspired and enthused and he's still only 32 years old. You know, success leaves footprints. So let's take a walk with a man on a serious mission, and owner of the game-changing Mortgage Experts, Gareth Love. Before we do, I just want to give a quick shout out to two of our amazing listeners this week, who each left the show a brilliant five star review on iTunes. First off, thank you to V. Lovegrove, who said, I've enjoyed every episode I've listened to so far. Some episodes have compelled me to seek out the individuals and work with them. You end up feeling that you already know them and can see if they fit within your own values. Looking forward to hearing more, Ben. And also a big shout out goes out to Andy Sand who said a genuinely great podcast. Ben's a great interviewer and his guests are very open about both the highs and lows of their business journey. Thank you so much to both of you for taking the time to leave those reviews. They are amazing. Thank you. And if you enjoyed today's episode and fancy a shout out on next week's show, you know what to do. Back to the interview. Gareth, welcome to The Truth About Business, and thanks for joining us on the show today.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Excited.
0: Right, so let's, let's get into the business stuff, Gareth. If you could really pick one thing that you think you are good at, your speciality in building a successful business, what would you say it is?
1: I would say that, uh, and without trying to sound too arrogant, I'd say that my speciality is sort of getting people to realise their full potential, working out what, what they want to achieve and how they want to go to it, really help them along that journey so really sort of building a culture within a business that people want to be part of Uh, i don't think people can take credit for the culture of a business because it it, it is what it is you create that from the the staff you have and the the environment and your values and things but uh, i really think that there's things you can do to set that on its way um so for me i think yeah helping people to to achieve their full potential
0: and if that's done correctly what are some of the benefits
1: uh, I think the first thing is, very selfishly, work becomes really fun and really enjoyable. When you've got people that buy into a shared vision and they really want to achieve and, and they know what they're after and how to get it, and you're helping and supporting that growth, it actually is a really exciting and fun way of working. Um, and actually, you don't mind putting up with the stuff at work that you, you need to do, but you don't mind doing it because everybody's working towards that common goal. So... Very selfishly, one of the outcomes is it makes my life really good and really interesting. I think the other thing is it, there's a lot of harmony within. Our, so using our business as an example, there's a massive amount of harmony amongst the advisors. So whilst they compete with each other and it's a bit you know competitive and but fun in that, in that respect they are all there to help each other because everybody wants to do well and they want to see the the business grow and, and grow along with it.
0: So with regards to having a real focus on motivating individuals within the business. From your own experience, obviously, you get to see inside a lot of other businesses that, that you work with. And from your past business experience, what's one thing that you feel about this sort of engaging the team and getting them fired up that's obvious to you, but you don't really see happening in, in other businesses?
1: So I would say the biggest thing that, that is really obvious is that sometimes a lot of businesses that I've worked with in the past, certainly not ones that we work with now, but businesses I've worked with in the past, they don't really appreciate what the driver and what that, what, what the driving force is for their staff. Uh, they assume that if you work in a sales environment, it must be money. Money must be the thing that drives every single salesperson. And, yeah, fair, fair play. It probably is, for a lot of people, money is one of the drivers. But really successful businesses that I've worked with and for, they sort of really get to the heart of what, what drives their staff and, and what motivates them. And and when you, when you work that out, when you've got that key to that door and you can work out how you can – have a really happy workforce, that's when you start pushing on and getting some serious results.
0: Have you got any great examples that spring to mind of, of people that may have been slightly disengaged with their previous work life and then these things have happened and you've seen a big difference?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, one of the business that I'm in, in with now, when I first came there, it was fair to say it wasn't you know performing to its optimum. A few unhappy people in there for one reason or another, but Sometimes I think the biggest thing that I've learned very quickly from working with and again and for for the people is you've got to listen. You've got to really listen to what your staff are telling you uh, because they're the guys and girls on the ground floor that that deal with customers day to day and they can see the problems and they're telling you what the issues are. Um, Unfortunately, I've also seen business owners and and directors and people that have ignored that and have just ploughed on with doing what they see as their vision and and not really engaging with their staff. And... You can learn so much by listening to people. So we, we I saw it in this business where perhaps you know somebody's got an idea and they've they put it forward to a previous sort of management regime and they've got turned down. But when you when you listen to their reasons why, it, it really you can learn an awful lot. So I know this of a, of a chap that I've worked with uh, who says he has a phrase: if it's fair and reasonable and it's mutually beneficial for both parties, why would you not do it? Uh, and that's a phrase that we use a lot in work. So if people come to me with ideas or. They think they've got a better way that we can work with, you know, a process or a system or whatever it might be. If it's fair and reasonable, it's mutually beneficial for, for everybody, then why not give it a go?
0: So this motivating and engaging the team and inspiring them, was there a trigger point when you realised that this was going to be a vital part of your armoury as a business owner? And, and when did you sort of realise that this needed to play a, a big part in, in your role as a business owner?
1: So, uh, that, great question. So, for me, working for a family business growing up sort of a teenager and you know into my 20s, I uh, worked for a couple of other businesses as well, but m- my parents had a business in Leicester, an estate agency business that I worked in, uh, and then there was a really happy, motivated workforce. I mean, we had our ups and downs with the market and things, but the management team had been there for years and years. They were engaged. The sales staff were motivated. Uh, they sold that business a couple of years ago, uh, and I worked for the, the, the people that came in to buy the business. Uh, and you could just see that the difference in, you know, when people perhaps don't engage so much with their staff that you can see performance tangibly dip. So for me, definitely, um, I realised very luckily really early on that, you know, making sure you've got a happy workforce and a motivating workforce, it will get you results. And not, I think the key for me has always been to find out what people perceive to be issues or problems and, and help them with solutions rather than just sort of tell people the way that things should be. When you create a culture within a business, you can't decide what it's going to be and implement that culture. You, ha- you have to work at it. It takes a lot of time. So we're very lucky in our business that, that we've got a culture, but that's been cultivated over the last sort of couple of years. And, you yeah, know, we've got room for improvement and we'll, and we'll keep developing that and keep growing that. But definitely, luckily, very early on in my in my, uh career, if you like. I learned that look after the staff and they'll look after you, definitely.
0: So for the listeners out there, because obviously everybody would love an engaged team, a team that's pushing them as the business owner rather than the business owner having to to pull them along, what would you say are a couple of key activities that you guys engage in to, to bring about that motivation?
1: So uh, and I'm conscious that I don't want to sound too much like a Google or an Apple and uh, you know, we're not full of beanbag and breakout rooms and things like that, but very early on when I was sort of running my own business I realised that perhaps some of the older ways of working, and sometimes businesses do things for the sake of doing them because they've always done them. So one thing for me that I thought, when you actually sit down and think about it, I thought was madness, was sales meetings. So every business is, you know, has, has a form of sales meeting. We're conscious, we call out a team meeting. Um, but if you think of the old way, and I've been in businesses that have done this, and I've worked with businesses that do this. So as a salesperson, I'll have a, a great month Uh, or a very bad month, or something in between, I fill in my figures, I send them to my boss, who then invites me to a meeting with all of my peers, and reads my figures back to me. And the guy next to me doesn't care about my figures, because he's had a great month. And the girl next to me, she's had a terrible month, so she doesn't want to hear about my good month. So it's just a a crazy way of working. So for for me, we, we focused on how can we engage people to want to sort of help themselves get better? And therefore, what can we do as a business to, to move ourselves on? So we have five core values as a business that we judge everybody in that business by, whether it's myself, uh, whether it's um, sales managers or advisors, administrators, accounts team, whoever it might be, everybody gets judged by the same core values. I'm happy to go through them.
0: Sure, yeah, let us have but first,
1: So the first one uh, is for people to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. So I think that if you, to to give, I'm not a massive football fan, but I know enough to to give an analogy to it. But if you look at last season's Premier League, so Liverpool were top of the Premier League uh, most of the season, and then they basically stacked it in the last couple of weeks and Man City picked them to the post. They'll probably do it this year. Uh, But last year they finished second. Uh, Whereas one of my good friends, he is a Southampton fan, avid Southampton fan, has been for years and years, and they were in the bottom three all all of the season. But had a great run of form just after Christmas, crept the way out of relegation zone and end up finishing, I don't know, 16th, where it might have been, but they didn't get relegated. So on paper, Liverpool second, Southampton 16th, it would appear that Liverpool are more successful. But they didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. Southampton did, so I could argue Southampton, they, they were the best versions of themselves that they could be. Therefore, they were successful. So for ourselves, if you're a salesperson or administrator, wherever you are, what do you want to achieve? And let us help you achieve that. and We'll make sure we achieve what you want to. The second uh, value is to learn. So We always like people to learn. Uh, I, I spend loads of my time you know, reading or listening to audio books or podcasts, such as this one. probably won't listen to myself because I don't like the sound of my own voice. Um, so we <laughs> you like get people, used to it. We like, people, <laughs> we like people to engage with learning as well. So also like, the third one is ownership. So, we like people to take ownership. So, give you an example very basically, but if the phone's in the office, it doesn't matter who you are, just pick the phone up and deal, deal with that client as if how you'd want to be deal, dealt with. The last two, so the positive, we like positive people, mainly because I don't like negative people, but <laughs> we, like, we like positive people. And I also, the fifth value is we like people to enjoy their role. So, the reason we added those last two in, I, I worked in a business before, a, a recruitment business actually, when I was, when I was very young. Um, and I used to get that Sunday night feeling of dread. You know, when you've got to go to work Monday morning and you, you, you can't stand the thought of it and you just what, clock watching until you've got to go to bed and you've got to get up. A, a horrible way of working. So I promised myself when I left that business when I was 20 that I would never, ever have that feeling ever again. And I don't want any of our team to have that feeling ever again. So if people start feeling like that and there's there's something that they're doing in their work that they could do, differently or that we could help or spread the workload, whatever it might be. We'll we'll work with that team member or that individual or that department to to, to do that. And when you judge people by core values, whatever they might be, you'll find that if they are the best versions of themselves they can be and they learn to keep themselves on the top of the game and they take ownership of themselves and their business within our business and they're positive and they enjoy their role and they exude those behaviours, well, the client experience on the back of that will be fantastic anyway. So we don't have to judge people by figures and matrices and written business and value and percentages and KPIs. I mean, we obviously do keep an eye on that that you know, that, that, that stuff, but that's not our driver. We want to keep that driver being on the core values. And it, it, it works, I'd say for us, it works 90% of the time. You're never going to get it 100% of the time, but very quickly, if you want people to buy into what we want to achieve as a business and they don't have those core values, they'll work that out for themselves that perhaps this is not the right place for them. But I'd say probably 90, 90 to 95% of the, the people that we've recruited are, are with us and have been with us for a couple of years now because they buy into it and they want to have those core values because it helps them in their own life and their own business as well. So probably a bit you know, less wing you could say, probably the way, way of running the business, but it really, really works for us.
0: Yeah, most definitely. There's some really interesting things there. And my next question for you on that values topic is, I think a lot of this stuff is seen as the the soft stuff, you know, the, the business fluff that people who haven't experienced it working properly perhaps don't put as much priority to it as they should do. You know, a lot of times values, they're just seen as words that the, the company owners picked out of a dictionary and they're stuck on the head office wall. But then you ask any member of the team and they haven't got a clue what they're about. What are some of the ways that you actually use those values within the business to drive the business forward and create this culture?
1: Uh, Fancy, that's a really easy one for us. So if anybody that's listening to this podcast or wants to comment on it on LinkedIn or whatever and say they've had an interview with me, I just go on about this stuff for two hours at a time give an example because i genuinely believe in it and i can test test to her that as well (laughs) i can i can attest to that as well
0: i've been there and i've experienced it for myself but (laughs) no it's it's inspiring and it sounds like a great business to be a part of so you know in terms of recruiting great people to be on the team you know when it's not just about money when you've got such a an enthusiastic compassionate business owner who's truly living these values and it sounds like a great place to be you know that's that's a big attractor for somebody in an industry where i presume not everybody is like that
1: Definitely, So, and that that's the key. So, I mean, we um we we will go through those core values at every team meeting that we have. We start off every team meeting just reminding people what they are. We talk about them in our sort of, when we get together as one-to-ones, you know, that sort of thing. When we get together on an individual basis, we'll talk about the core values and, you know, how have you found this and what have we learned from that and is there anything we could be doing better and, and talking like that. The, the other thing, you hit the nail on the head, our industry is actually really quite old-fashioned, so financial services and mortgage advice it's quite an old industry. It's crazy, really. It's, it's great as a, as a mortgage broker because there's something like 14,000 mortgage brokers in the UK, whereas 10 years ago, there was like 35,000. But in the last 10 years, banks and building societies and the FCA and have all been pushing people towards getting advice from a broker. So everyone's telling clients to get advice, and there's nobody left to, to give the it, give it advice. So there are a lot of old-fashioned firms And what really works for us and having those core values and and judging people and running that business in that way, I think, to coin a a term, so imagine a clique in a a, a school or a sports club or a group of friends. Cliques are usually really bad things, aren't they? So they're trying, you know, certainly like sports clubs. I, I play rugby and in my rugby club, we make a big thing about not having little cliques of people. But in our business, we absolutely want our business to be a clique so if you're in it, you don't want to leave it. And if you're not in it, you really want to be a part of it. Obviously, we do an awful lot of stuff on social media and, uh, and the business media, such as LinkedIn and Facebook, around you know helping advisors, not our own advisors, but other advisors, helping them with ideas and suggestions. And we put a lot of content out there. And we do get a lot of response from that. So we do get a lot of people saying, uh, can we have a chat, you know, off the record chat about, I'm a, I'm a broker, I'm working for a different business, or I'm working for an estate agency business, or a bank, or building society, can we just have a chat about the options, and I love that, I really I really do like that, we, I probably get genuinely two or three advisors a week message me on LinkedIn, because they want to hear about, we are a little bit different to everybody else, now don't get me wrong, we make sure that we keep an eye on things like protection, and the buildings and contents penetrations, and the stuff that we have to do compliantly to make sure that we're doing our job properly, but the the way we drive the business we drive performance is around core values it's not an overnight win you can't just say right these are our core values here's five of them that we've dreamt up and they're a bit wishy-washy and that means that next month we're going to have a fantastic result it it doesn't work like that these are things that you have to buy into and you've really got to believe and be passionate about but you will see a growth definitely
0: Yes, and that, that was going to be my next question. So obviously having a really clearly defined set of core values that everybody's bought into sounds like a great business to be a part of. But for you as the business owner, do you see that being reflected in the results? You know, Will you see an increase in turnover, in profits, in sales, and all those associated things that come with that?
1: Definitely. I think, I think for us, so if you look at 2019, so we've just got into 2020, so we can look at the full year, 2019, Month on month, from January all the way through to October, we grew every single month. Every single month was growth. October, I'm going to put the blame solely down to uh, Brexit. Uh, <laughs> but October was a bit of a dip, and I think people in our industry experience a bit of a dip around there, so mm-hmm. the uncertainty will create a bit of an issue. Uh, November and December were fantastic again though. January for us has started fantastically well, uh, fantastically well as well. So, yeah, definitely. And I think the two reasons for that is when you've got first of all when you've got advisors buying into what you're trying to achieve and, and you're driving performance through learning rather than through setting targets so we don't set targets in our business we don't say this is what you must achieve we you, you will work with you to, to agree a pledge so how much do you want to write this month and we will help you to, to work out what you need to do and what that looks like so if you want to write fifteen, twenty thousand £20,000 a month as a mortgage broker we will help you to work out How you need to do that, what your case size is going to look like, how many people you'll need to speak to to get how many sign-ups you require, we'll help with that.
0: Is there a minimum pledge that somebody has to put forward?
1: If somebody came forward and said sort of three or four thousand pounds, we'd certainly have a conversation about that.
0: Well, it's uh, it's a a conflict of the core values, then I suppose as well, isn't it? So you can always bring it back to that.
1: And, you know, in our business, we've got self-employed and employed advisors. So, um, it very much, obviously, levels differ. Uh, we have got some people that have been in the industry for 15 years, 10 years, and they've got big client banks that they get regular business from. And we've got some people in the business that are quite new to it and are building their pipelines up and their experience. So, obviously, there's going to be a difference in levels. Whereas, I'd say a, a good advisor that, that wants, wants to achieve should write £10,000 a month as a minimum. But we have got advisors doing 20000 £25,000 as well.
0: Amazing. Now we're going to get into a bit about your business history in a few minutes, but for, for somebody that could have walked into mortgage experts before you were there, because you acquired this business, you didn't start it from scratch. This was one that you came into and took over uh, another business owner. And then they went away and they came back today and walked in. What do you think are the, the main differences they'd see between the team then and the team now?
1: I, I think the biggest difference would be the smile on people's faces. Um, I through my own workload at the minute, I'm, I very rarely get to go to rugby. So uh, our head office is in rugby. We run the um the business from there, so we've got administration teams and all the other departments, marketing and you know, accounts, that sort of stuff based in rugby. And the biggest thing for me, I go every Thursday, so I, I have regular meetings that I have in rugby. And I have them every Thursday, and I really look forward to Thursdays because we've got a fantastic team, a team of administrators. Uh, led by a lady called Claire, Claire Chelsea, Josie. So the girls in the office, when you go in there, it's like a fun, nice environment to be in. It's like you, you want to be there. It's like going to work and you can have a bit of a laugh and a joke and you know, you feel comfortable there. But there's also everybody wants to succeed and do well and achieve what they want. So it's really easy to get your head down and crack on with some work. But it's a really nice environment Obviously, we have our ups and downs, like uh, like you know, like every business. You know, you go through you know, like relationships, isn't it? You go through uh, through patches, and you have to work through them. But I think the biggest difference for somebody, sort of perhaps going into that business three years ago and coming into it now, would be this is the smile on people's faces.
0: Okay, nicely put. Now, I think you've really you've definitely sold me on the benefits of having a really clear set of company values that everybody's bought into that you as the business owner are passionate and are living yourself so for anybody else who's thinking yeah i want some of this but hasn't got anything in place what's your top two or three tips that you could pass on to somebody be it actions or tips or things to look out for to at least get them on the the journey to having this up and running
1: I would say, so top top three tips, okay, good, very good question. So my my first thing would be, very quickly, to work out where you want to be and, and look at what does good look like. And, uh, you know, uh, there's something with, you know, people talk about entrepreneurialism or business owners. Everyone talks, there's, all this, there's a lot of phrases that get bandied around. And one of them that, that resonates quite a lot with me, to be fair, is that in, imposter syndrome. So, you know, everybody has doubts. You know, every, every day you doubt yourself. And, and that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing because it helps you to, to keep your focus and make sure that what you're doing is making you money so my first thing would be to say work whatever you're doing make sure it's, it's it's putting you on a journey to making money if that's if that's your goal which obviously being a business owner it's certainly mine the second thing uh i think for me would be very simply and this is something that sean said to me not long ago so my business partner said uh find out what the customers want and give it to them and that's the secret of sales which you know i'm sure he's uh stolen that, that phrase from somewhere but that's another thing that one of the, the, the phrases that we use is success leaves clues so you don't have to reinvent the wheel find out what other people are doing and doing well and implement that uh, i mean i, I know like working with a lot of successful estate agencies some of the guys there have got some fantastic ideas obviously that's a, a challenging industry and a lot of the stuff sometimes that we work with businesses in, you know, like handles like nice Bridge and the guys there and finding country we find out the bits that they're doing really well. We'll implement that as well. And probably, if I was to give another, a third thing, organisation. Like I, I'd like to think, and I got this very much from my mum, who even now, as we went on a family holiday, I think she'd still want to look after my passport and, and my boarding pass for me because she's super organised. But I think definitely, yeah, I, I'm a, an organised person. I've been brought up in that, that background and in that environment, and it, it really helps manage workloads and multiple projects and you know, when you've got things on, you, you can't afford to hide behind being too busy. Uh, you'll know, um, a lot of people that, that have been on this podcast and the people that listen to it will know, being success, successful means you're really busy. Probably not a lot of getting away from that. You show me somebody that, that is really successful that works 10 hours a week and I'll probably show you a liar, but you have to be organised. And I think one thing, and that's a, like almost like a, a daily or a half-daily task. So yeah, being really organised has got to be something that you do every single day. You can't afford to let it slip. One thing that I've just started doing recently is sort of not getting tied up with emails all day. I think it worked out. I was just thinking it over the Christmas period that sometimes I could spend the whole day emailing people. And, you know, I send an email at 8 o'clock in the morning and half nine they've replied to me. So I reply back at 10 and then I get another one through at half 11. And I, the, the work is banding mm-hmm. around all the time. So I'm trying to cut down on email communication, if I'm honest prefer to pick up the phone and get have a conversation and get things sorted, but that is on the back of being organised. So yeah, they'd be my top three
0: definitely. And going back to these company values, just for anybody that's thinking of starting the process with this, did you come up with them yourself, or was it a, a, a collection of the, the whole team, or how did they come about?
1: Yeah, so I mean, again, uh, one of the guys I went to see a, a, an industry speaker, a guy called Mark Burgess, who owns a, a very, a very uh, successful company that do software for. Um, uh, estate agencies, uh, and, he, and he spoke about this at the, the talk he was giving, where they do uh, did the same thing. I was there, a London-based company it's a slightly different. I'd say slightly different sort of way of managing a different workforce. And you know, then my sister works for a, a very modern tech business, and it seems to be the done thing. But I think for me, it was more about what what do we want good to look like, and what behaviours would you, would you have to have to ensure that, that that people are on their game all the time. Um, so I'd say that, you know, between myself and my business partner, we probably came up with them, but we sort of refined them around sort of what good staff already do. Uh, so we've got some fantastic, you know, members of the business, whether they're advisors or administrators, but we've got some great people. And it's really just sort of picking the behaviours that, you know, when you think, yeah, that would be great service that I've got from Claire. What, what is it about Claire that makes her fantastically good at what she does? And putting that into a sort of a, a set of values.
0: Okay, some brilliant stuff there. Thank you for sharing all of that. Now, your own business journey, Gareth, leading up to to where you are today. Can you give us a a bit of a summary, starting from your last days of education and and where you've been since then?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. So my background, my parents owned an estate agency in Leicestershire, where I'm from. It was the largest independent estate agency in Leicestershire. They were really successful. There's some fantastic people there. So I basically worked there. I actually had, to start right at the start, I actually had a job uh, in the co-op, the local co-op, that lasted two shifts. Um, <laughs> it was not for me. It was not for me. In fact, I got fired, I think. Um, but it wasn't for me. So my stepdad basically took pity on me and said, "Right, you can come into the office and you can basically make everybody's tea and all of the bins. And if everybody else is on the phone and it rings, you can pick it up for people." And that was when I was 15. So very much working sort of part time. You know, I, you know, I was on probably one pound twenty an hour or something ridiculous. So I worked there. I obviously went to school to A-levels. Um, literally picked up my A-level results at half past nine on that Thursday morning. By 10 o'clock, I was sat at a desk in the office. Full-time hours now in the estate agency. Still on pound twenty an hour, but uh, <laughs> full-time.
0: Wasted um, no time.
1: Really, that's it. Like Literally, I think it was like I missed one bus, so I got a half an hour break to get the other bus into town, and that was it. But I think very quickly, they had a, a very sort of large, successful estate agency business. And for me, I, I, I sort of money was always my driving thing i didn't like i enjoyed school and i enjoyed the the, the the crack but i didn't feel like spending another three years and getting into a load of debt to to sit in a classroom with what i wanted to do but after working at the business for sort of only a couple of weeks in the estate agency i saw these mortgage brokers and there was a couple of like phenomenally successful mortgage brokers um i thought that's what i want to do i want to be a mortgage broker. Because they were driving like these really flash cars and they had flash suits and nice watches and, and as an 18 year old. Uh, that was quite impressive to me. So I basically said to my parents, "That's what I want to do." And they told me I was too young. Uh, to be fair, when I was 18, I did look about nine years old. So I, I probably, they probably weren't wrong. But I actually went to work for a business uh, in Northampton for a guy called Nick Ripley, who every now and again I, I speak to on the on the phone. But he had a mortgage brokerage in uh, in, in Northampton, uh, so he took me on slightly more than pound twenty an hour at the time. Uh, basically, he said to me, uh, "If you, um, he paid me a very small salary, but he gave me the same commission structure as, as, as his successful advisors, and he gave me a chance. So I was driving down from Leicester to Northampton to Kettering or Corby every day, uh, but he was a great bloke to work with, so taught me loads and loads. Really nice, a nice environment to work with, but unfortunately, this was back in 2007, so 2008, around that sort of time. Uh, obviously, then Northern Rock went bust, uh, and I remember saying to a few of the advisors there, "Well, this have a bit of an impact on our market," and they were sort of blind to it. They were saying, "No, it won't have a, won't have an impact." And obviously, lo and behold, it it was a worldwide sort of global financial crash, wasn't that? Oh yeah, so, absolutely. So
0: Nick
1: Nick was really fair to me, uh, so he basically gave an opportunity, uh, and he said to me that if, if we had a, a target, that if I hit certain targets within six months, he'd get me a company car. So I said, uh, obviously being a precocious little. 18, 19-year-old I was at the time. I said, well, it could be a good one then, it could got be a BMW. He said, okay, well, if you achieve X, Y, and Z, I'll get you a BMW. So, uh, obviously, the market played a part in this, but I achieved what these targets that he set to me. I thought, all, all the time, in the back of my head, I was thinking, he won't do it, he won't get the one. And then he called me to a meeting in the Kettering Venture Park Hotel. I remember it, and I walked into a room, and he basically just gave me a car key and said, it's in the car park, so he got this new beer. It was like a Six-month-old BMW that he, that he got g- given me, which was fantastic. So, at 18 years old, I was having good money, driving this BMW, and thinking I was the big, you know, he's the biggest guy in the world. And the reality was, I saved nothing. You know, I just spent money every single month on, you know, just waste it like you do when you're that age, don't, yeah, going absolutely. out and stuff like that. But I learned, I learned an awful lot working for him, and I think, yeah, you know, he's, he's a broker today. He still works in, in that area. He's a lo- lovely, lovely guy. I've not seen him for probably. 12, 13 years, but I caught up on the phone with him not too long ago. But yeah, learned a lot working there, and learnt a lot from the guys and the brokers in that industry. Um, but unfortunately, that that business really suffered as a result of of the, the global crisis. So uh, I actually put my CV online uh, when I had to see like, you know time to get out. I put my CV online and they got an interview with a recruitment company for a job at I think it was HSBC or NatWest or something like that. So I went for this interview with this recruitment company and, and sort of halfway through. The interview, um, the lady said, Oh, hang on a second, I'm going to get my director in to speak to you. And about three minutes later, I was working for the recruitment company. So that was not something I'd planned to do, but I was working there. Uh, again, worked for a lady called Eileen Richards, fantastic. So she's very big on the Leicestershire business scene. She's actually an MBE now, I think, um, services to charity and stuff. But that was a great, again, it was a great, great, fantastic people in that business. But It was at a time where 2008. Nobody was recruiting. If they were recruiting, they weren't going to pay you five grand for the privilege because there were so many people looking for jobs. So I I didn't work there for too long before an opportunity came up, actually with mortgage advice bureaus, head office in Derby. So I went to work there, and I was back in sort of financial services. I was 20 years old at this point, and my 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 stepdad obviously uh, they they had a pretty tough time during the recession. Um, obviously they, they had to lose branches, uh, kept all of the, the people that had been there for a long time, which was great. But yeah, it was tough, really tough. And they'd sort of had a, a mortgage business and sold it and whatever. So th- th- they were they were fighting through. And then sort of six months after working there, Brian, my stepdad, said, uh, come, on, come back and we'll do mortgages properly. So eventually I went back and said, you've got to pay more than pound fifty an hour, which he reluctantly agreed to. But so I went back there in 2009, uh, early 2009, middle of 2009. And was there until until he sold it, and uh, that's when I was, I'd, I'd sort of still very young, but I'd worked for I'd worked for sort of a few different people, a few different businesses, uh, a huge business such as Mortgage Advice Bureau, who we later then became sort of an appointed representative of. Uh, I'd obviously worked for my parents and learned loads and loads there. I'd worked for Nick, i would worked for the uh, and stuff, and, and learned an awful lot about perhaps the way that I like to be managed as an individual you know when you're young i think everyone thinks they know everything when you're young but you need help and i was really lucky that i had some like fantastic mentors
0: what what do you think it was that they saw in you early on because you you obviously impressed nick in the early days and well you not only impressed him but you went out there and you made it happen but then when you went for the job in the bank they went to get the director and you got the job straight away what do you think it was about you that 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 opened up those opportunities
1: I don't know, I think really, I I just find it, I'm just really comfortable talking to people, mainly because I'm just, this is a bit weird for me, because it's usually me asking the questions, and me, (laughs) I I love learning about people, and even when I was advising, I'd be like, what do you do for a job, and how long have you been there, and what you you were, that's the way I've always been, but I think the background that I had, I was really lucky growing up, that I had some like, you know, my stepdad, my mum and my stepdad, uh, working for them, a couple of, uh, I used to be like really into different sports and stuff, and and just got a lot of confidence, and so I'm not, Hopefully, not I 'm sure people will disagree, but hopefully not misplaced confidence, so I was just really keen to learn all the time, so didn't particularly like learning at school because it just didn't engage me, but the business world and sort of earning money and how you can turn pick up a phone into cash in the bank and stuff like that it it just it really excited me, so I wanted I was engaged with it, so I wanted to learn. I think then the other thing is just you know I've always always been taught so we, we don't ask anybody in our business now. And I learned this from, again, working with my parents, is don't ask somebody to do what you're not willing to do yourself. Uh, and, and that's the other key. So, you know, we spend a lot of my time, like, I'll happily just pick up the phone all day, every day, and create business. I just, I just got a buzz from it. So uh, probably that, that all my cheap labour at £1.50 an hour. Probably, <laughs> uh, they probably saw that in it, but no, they, I think it was, pro- yeah, probably the confidence thing. i just, I've always been quite lucky that, you know, things like public speaking and, you know, being on a camera and stuff like that doesn't really. I do quite a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. It doesn't. It doesn't faze me. I'm just quite lucky in that respect. And don't get me wrong, I'm no Brad Pitt. More arm than Brad Pitt. I don't. You know, I'm not, I'm not great looking <laughs> bloke. You know, when I do these videos and stuff, I just. I, I'm just comfortable with you know with talking to people. And I think that probably was what, what what's them out a little bit.
0: Okay, so you've gone for your parents' property uh, business. They've sold up. You're now looking to join MAB. What, what's the story from there on?
1: yeah so the guy that came in uh that he took over he had different sort of slightly different ideas as to what he wanted to achieve as to uh, as to what i wanted to do i'd worked with my sort of work former parents that time and really i think that um i'd always got to the point where i thought right, well, i i need to be in charge i need to like i got these ideas and whether they were right or wrong they were mine and i I'd thought about them for a long time and i really wanted to to push forward to sort of put into practice what i thought was a good a good plan we were part of Mortgage Advice Bureau and I, I sort of left, uh, when I left the existing business and, you know, wished them all the best and, you know, hopefully they'll crack on and be and be really, really successful. But I wanted to sort of go it alone. And actually the opportunity came up to speak to a guy that owned a, a mortgage business that, that was perhaps not achieving what it should achieve, but had a huge opportunity. And my thing's always been, I, I don't need to have my name above a door. It doesn't need to be called, you know, Gareth Loves Mortgage Employment. It's, that's not what excites me, but... The opportunity with this business and, and the, the staff that it had, and it was just sort of, it was like a bonfire that somebody poured petrol on, but it just needed somebody to light it. Um, that was that was the thing. So I got put in touch with a guy called Sean Newman. Uh, it's not a secret. I could know, go on company's house, and see he's my my business partner. So uh, he, he's got a, he's a fantastic name in the estate agency. He's been a huge a huge part of why I wanted to go uh, and work with Sean rather than go you know be just my one man band and have a hundred percent of the business was because of who Sean is and his experience. And he is a fantastic person to learn from. Spends a lot of his time learning and, and putting content on you know, media channels for, to help estate agencies grow and get better and improve. And what you see on camera with Sean is what you get. So I basically went to, I, got, I, I, um, I spoke to Sean over um, LinkedIn, invited me to go for a, a chat with him on a Saturday morning. Uh, in rugby, his office in rugby, uh, which is actually next door to ours. And I put, I remember putting two pounds on the payment display on the car. He said, we need about an hour. So I thought, well, I'll put two hours on just, you know, just in case we overrun. I was living for about four hours. So it came out to a parking ticket. <laughs> and then, he, then we agreed, so then we agreed to meet again the following week on Saturday morning. So I went there again. And I thought, well, like this side, I'll put three hours on the, on the car just in case we overrun. I've left for about five hours. So I came out to another parking ticket. So it's, by this point, I'm already about £120 down. on. Yeah, the, the council the are doing well out of um, your meetings. <laughs> they, were, they, they wouldn't have rubbed such a clean and tidy place. Like a place <laughs> but really, I think when I when I met with Sean, and Sean, you don't mind me saying that, it just felt a little bit like, the, the, you know, when the sort of, the, the phrase Sean used that made us both laugh, it was like the stars of the lines. Like, what I wanted to achieve was what Sean wanted to achieve. And it, for me, he just, he, you know, I, I I meet with him once a week and we have a chat and catch up and stuff and we, we don't get sort of massively involved in like we, we services, estate agencies, but he doesn't get massively involved in our business. But, He's always there. That if you need something, you can speak to him. He's got this passion and energy for business that I probably not had for a couple of years since I last worked with, for my parents. So my stepdad was very very similar people, and I've been very lucky in that respect. But it just like every day I wake up and I, I love what I do. I love going to work. I love trying to. We've got this plan to grow our business to be the biggest brokerage in the UK, which sometimes scares our compliance people and uh, sometimes it can scare an AB. But we'll get there, and I know we'll get there because for me sean this is one of the things that um that i've learned It's sean's like the same as me he's like a person so why can't you do that like if we want to be the biggest broker in the uk somebody's got to be so why not let it be us why not work out what we need to do to get there and make a plan we'll have to change a plan and we we'll have to keep developing it and improving it but why can't it be us and he's you know phenomenally successful and he's got and within his businesses he's got some fantastic people that i've worked with and learned from there so yeah it's a I would just say that yeah, that's how that was my journey really. But now it's like absolutely love working. Uh, like I said with Sean, I see him sort of for an hour a week, and we get a coffee and grab a coffee. And to be fair, because he always comes to see me, I've not bought a coffee in about six months, so it must be my turn. So if you listen to this, Sean, I'll get the coffees in when you get back from your holiday. But <laughs> yeah, it's just it's one of those things that when you've got that support network, you've got those people in place, it, it's fun. My like, so, business is fun.
0: So, so prior to hooking up with Sean over LinkedIn. Had you had any communications with him before that or was that the first time you'd been in contact with him?
1: No, do you know, weirdly, I, I've never met him, but i would always sort of like followed his journey because he was a, a, an heir of estate agency that my parents were from. So he was always sort of rugby and Coventry and Leamington uh, with Newman's, and which is an estate agency business. And my parents had a business in Leicester called Taylor's. Uh, so in the same sort of area, you know, sort of 90s, early 2000s. And I remember my stepdad talking about him because they'd been to the same do's and they'd met each other and they sort of know they'd know each other to say hello to it and stuff and, and yeah, have a beer with each other and stuff. But um, So, yeah, I'd always sort of kept, like, I'd heard of him. I'd sort of followed his stuff that he was doing online. And, and actually, when the time came to speak to it was a bit like, you sort of you know, Wow, like, that'd be fantastic if anything comes with it. I tried not to get too excited. I tried to sort of keep my feet on my ground, but I kept thinking about, well, what if we could do? You know, what if we had fifty advisors or a hundred advisors? I and mean, you know, first of all, what if we had twenty advisors? I mean, that'd be fantastic. And yeah, it was really, uh, I, I had heard of him uh, and the opportunity. I, I thought sometimes it was not going to go down. But I'm not going to be too much of a noise and say it was like a hero thing because it certainly wasn't that. But I didn't want, you know, to sort of be like, I got this image in my head of what that business looked like and how successful they were. And he must be this sort of tyrant dictator and, you know, people just, it was a revolving door of employees and stuff like that. Like a, like a, a Steve Jobs it.
0: type character.
1: Yeah. I, I, Joe, it could not be the, the opposite of what I thought. So he was just so, like, warm and welcoming. And I thought the first time I thought, this he can't, can't be like this all the time. He can't have this much energy and passion and enthusiasm. You know, Sean's, you know, whilst he does look probably in his late 30s, he's a bit older than that, he's in his 50s, but you think, well, I, I couldn't believe that he, like, he had this energy and passion after 30 years of business. So, for me, that was fantastic. So, I, 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 it was like a, a match made in heaven.
0: Yeah, he sounds like an amazing person to have as a as a counsel and, and a mentor, and he certainly seems like he's yeah. been an important part in your your business journey so far. So, moving over to, to mortgage experts, then, what was the situation when you took the business over? What was the size of the team back then? What was the situation, and and how did you feel going into that business for the first time, really as a, as a business owner?
1: I think that uh, well, when I, f- when I first got involved, they had I think it was like advisors. Uh, they had eight advisors, three administrators, business development chap, uh, and the accounts team. And on my first day, I imagine if anybody's seen the in between us, I think I was a bit like Will with a briefcase, <laughs> really excited. And, and the reality being something different. And it was sort of, I think by, I think I even wore a tie on my first day. I can't remember because I don't wear tires because of my massive neck. But I think I, I got there and I, I, I really, I don't think I quite understood how much of an opportunity there was, but how much we had to sort a few issues out first. So I remember going, and I'm sure she won't mind me saying, but there's an advisor that's with us now called Karen, Karen Willis, fantastic, lovely lady. And I went to meet. She said, "Can we have a meeting?" So it was my second day. I actually went to see to see Karen in Leamington Spa, and she said, "I'm self-employed. I've been here for six months. I'm not making any money. I think I'm going to leave." And I was thinking, "Oh God, no, don't do that!" Like, you know, it's my second day, and that looked it looked bad. Is it me or? I just sort of worked I asked Karen sort of why why is that? Like why do you want to leave? And she said that you know she's had no support. Uh she gave me an example of a case that she had a bridging finance case where it was like potentially like eight thousand pounds worth of commission and the guy that was there before didn't, you know, want to help her. She's sort of like, You're a broker, you work it out, that's your job and I was thinking, God, if she rang me, I'd have driven over in the middle of the night to help, you know, it's that sort of you know, income and stuff. Anyway, I said to Karen, like, bear with me, I'm like, give me give me till Christmas. Give me like three or four months. I know that hopefully like, without that seminar I know what to do to be successful as a mortgage broker. I want to help people, I want to develop that and, and push that forward, so give me four months. So we did that and she said, look, I'll be happy if I'm earning a couple of grand a month. So we got to that point quite quickly and then we basically, Karen was just one of those people that's so easy to work with uh, and she's got all of the core values and she's like, what do I need to do to go and more money, I want to earn 10 grand a month. I said, okay, well let's put a plan in place and to be fair to her, as you can see from my LinkedIn videos, they have a 10k club, so people that have earned more than ten thousand pounds in their that personal income in their, their their first month. um Sorry, personal income in a month. And Karen hit that. I think it was about September, October time this year, which is fantastic. So she's literally gone from being ready to hand a notice in. She was poached in between that. So somebody came to to offer her a phenomenal employed job, but. She loved like the work-life balance that she could have. She's got four children, so varying ages. So she takes them wherever they go, like sports or swimming or school and stuff, so she could fit in her job all around her. Uh, and her clients around sort of have busy family life but then yeah to, to earn like £10,000 a month which actually I was absolutely made up for it. and when we did I actually did a video I put it on my LinkedIn it's a bit of a recruitment tool if I'm honest that, uh, that we use which works really well but when I did that video I was really really proud of her I was absolutely buzzing for her because she you yeah, know she, to see someone that had gone from being ready to chuck the towel in to earning that amount of money in a month as personal income was like a real proud thing and it almost sort of gave me that when I mentioned earlier about that imposter syndrome it sort of sort of validated what i was doing was hopefully in the right direction that the plans that we put in place and the way that we were working was successful and that's just one example but obviously it came with its downsides because we put the video online and she had four job offers in 48 hours uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I
0: think, yeah i I'd can on, see on, what I, was, I... <laughs> I bit
1: in like that, but no but i think it's just it's stuff like that it's things like um you know we, we have an academy where we've put people through that have got some, something about them that is really quite special but maybe they're not qualified and we've put people through that that journey and that process which is you know a six to twelve month process but to see them come out of the other side of that and then start earning fantastic income uh, i've had guys and, and girls that have been like your typical plodders so used to being an obvious and did a bit and take over a bit of money and then they've turned it around and they've sort of got this they've reignited their passion for what they do and they're earning fantastic money but they're not working you know 80 hours a week and stuff like that but they're still earning a very good income so that sort of stuff yeah is, is fantastic
0: and so, from the earlier days, then when you you obviously had the background of your your parents and you, your stepfather that had started the business, the estate agency business, did you see yourself as eventually always becoming a business owner, or was that not really something that was in your mind at the time? Yeah,
1: definitely. I think you know, I think even from when I was eighteen, or when I, probably when I was fifteen, I thought oh, I could run this business. You know, you doing, you're a young lad. But uh, I, I always so my stepdad's like my biggest mentor in the world. Uh, not just he's like my best friend as well. To be fair, so. I've always had a brilliant relationship with him. He's taught me loads of stuff. I mean, there's been loads of other influences in my life, but, yeah, I've learnt loads of stuff from him. I'll be honest, I've learnt some stuff of what I would not do. So we, we do have different opinions, and even when I was working for him, we used have regular different opinions on the, on topics that could be challenging at times, and decibel levels would get higher and higher in the office, but we'd always go for a pint on a Friday after, after work, and it was all done and dusted. But, yeah, I think... Um, Having that sort of strong support has has been sort of really useful and really helpful. And, yeah, I think without it, I think I I always, when I was working there, I always wanted to to run my own business. And and actually, we had a few conversations about when they decided they were looking, because he had a health problem a couple of years ago, quite a serious health problem. Uh, And he decided that he'd done it for long enough, and it was time for somebody else to take the reins and move forward. And we had a conversation about that. We had a conversation about because they were successful in sales and lettings and mortgages, but we had a conversation about that. We had a conversation about sort of just separating the mortgage business. But you know, for them, they, they sold my business, and, and quite rightly so as well. So I'd never want to be to be given anything. I, I think you know, don't get me wrong. When I was working there, there were times that I thought I should be paid more. But uh, I, I think it was good for them. It was the right thing for them to do to sell their business uh, and to enjoy the, the fruits of their labor over the last sort of thirty years. But also, I think a little bit of me wanted to whilst i've not created something from the ground up with this business that's in the pipeline with something else but i think i wanted to just do things my way and put my own stamp on it perhaps so i've always yeah i've always but to be fair when i was working for them i never was treated like an employee so my both my mom and uh, my stepdad had, been, had worked in uh, and had mortgage businesses and been mortgage brokers um, but they always let me sort of get on with what I thought was the right way of doing it. So, aside from their sort of, you know, sign off, if I had an idea or we were recruiting or something like that, they'd always just let me get on with it. And they just sort of gave me enough sort of rope not to hammer myself with. So, they just let me crack on and, and implement my own ideas and just support that, that development, which was, you know, really lucky. I had to prove myself first. Obviously, I had to write on the business and make sure that it was done properly. And uh, to be quite honest, when I was a bit younger, I could be a little bit flippant. So, like certain things, I probably wouldn't focus my attention on as much as I should do. Maybe the bits of the role that I didn't really enjoy. I'm really getting at the compliance side here. So, I'm hoping that compliance mind is not listening, but that's the old <laughs> me. So, I'd I, I, I focus on like the, the bits of the job that I did I did enjoy. And, and what I learned quite quickly is you can't be like that as a business owner. You've got to be, you've got to know your stuff and you've got to make sure that you, you dot the I's and cross the T's when you need to. Um, and you spend your time being thorough.
0: And so if if you could think back to day one of, of being the owner of the business, you might not necessarily have known how you were going to do it, but if you could rate your confidence out of 10 with regards to knowing that you were going to make it a success, what would you have scored yourself?
1: I'd say when I first, before I started, I I, I was a 10 out of 10. Okay, I thought, yep, I know what I'm doing. I think three days in, I was probably a 2 out of 10. What, what had changed? So I just think that, and i was the worst person for this but i always assumed that the higher up in management that you go the less you do Uh, and that was just my perception of my maybe that's the skill in people that they can perceive to be not doing an awful lot but i always i always had this impression as a young as a younger man that, that the higher up the food chain you were the less that you did every day and the reality could not be further from the truth so when you when you've got when you're not accountable to anybody. That's a, that's a challenge, and so that's a really, really difficult challenge. And to, to make sure that what you're doing is right and that your ideas are just yours, and I'm looking at it, I've got a show to bounce ideas from, and that's, that's a big help. But, yeah, the accountability is a big thing. So I think very quickly I, I saw the challenge and thought your confidence, anybody that says it doesn't is a lie, like your confidence just gets up and you think, wow, can I do this? And then actually you break things down, and I'm quite organised, so I'll compartmentalise things in my head and work out what we need to do first, and then what the what the one-week plan is, the one-month plan, the three months, six months, 12 months, what that looks like, what we need to do. So that, then I, I was building my confidence on the, on the back of that. In reality now, so two years down the line, I'd say that uh, my confidence in terms of what I'm doing, I would say I'm at about a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, and that is not to – I'm really happy with that because I think that if I was a 10 out of 10, I'd be complacent. And I take my eye off the ball, and then then there'll be somebody around me that that's better, and probably take one of my uh, one of my contracts away. So I, I'm quite happy being a seven and a half, eight out of ten. I don't think in my in my heart of hearts, the day that I get to a nine or a ten, I'll probably pack it in because that's when I'll start taking backward steps. Because my big thing is I love learning, and just like being part of the mortgage advice bureau uh, as a, as a network or an introductory partner. There's some, there are some phenomenal industry people there that have really helped me. So. People like Bridget Smith, uh, Rob Jen, Gareth Herbert. So, some really fantastic, knowledgeable people that have been in the industry for years. That have, you know, whilst I might not look it for anyone that's looking at my LinkedIn profile, I'm quite quite young in this industry. So, I'm 32. I think we've got quite an older industry. So, most business owners, when I go to meetings, they tend to be sort of, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. Uh, and I'm, I'm like the new boy, I'm like the young new boy at the back. But then, you know, sometimes that's an advantage for me because. Yeah, we've still got the passion and the energy. We know what we want to achieve and and we will not let we will rest on our laurels. So, yeah, we're doing all right at the minute, but we want to get better. Uh, and we and we still want to improve all the time. And if we can keep doing that, then hopefully we'll, we'll go somewhere quite special.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a great mindset to have. And when you are in those meetings with those more, with the older, m- more experienced in terms of decades in the industry, business people, do you get the sort of the imposter syndrome then? Because I think for me, I've always sort of used youth as an excuse maybe not to fulfill my full potential and you think well well I'm not old enough then when really age is nothing but a number so how did you feel in those situations and if you if you did get imposter syndrome you've already talked about the fact that when you got back into it and you started compartmentalizing it and working out plans it started to, to melt away but in those business situations when you're sat across the table how do you deal with it then?
1: I think so I've always worked quite well under pressure, and there's always been. some when I was you know, working for someone, working with my parents, I had the pressure of achieving a sales target, which actually is not really pressure because if you work out what what you need to do to be successful and you just do it, then then you'll hit your targets. But that's the key sometimes with, with sales targets. The reason you don't achieve them is, is because you've not done what you said you were going to do. The reality is, as a business owner, it's not just about you. You know, we've got people. We've got like how many advisors now? Thirty odd advisors. Plus we've got. You know, support staff, admin staff. We got a we've got stuff downstairs and our building society agency and things. So people rely upon you know my ability and, and hopefully sort of my guidance and, and leadership to pay their mortgages. So we can't afford to be complacent and we can't afford to, to take our eye off the ball because you know what you know what I do, um, the decisions I make. If I let myself get you know, make the wrong one or you know I have that imposter syndrome for too long. It affects people's lives, so they've got mortgages to pay and bills and kids of their own and stuff. So that that's a big driver for me to make sure that I'm doing the right things all the time and that I'm putting my 100% attention into what I'm doing. I actually don't think it's a bad thing to have that imposter syndrome because, you know, I've met people in our industry that, that think that they know everything and they're the bee's knees and you just think, like, I could take your business from you quite quickly. And not that I would do, but you do think like that. And uh, I'm just conscious that to, to stay, like, really humble – where we are now, hopefully we'll be in a much bigger and better place in the next 12 months, two years, three years, five years. We'll keep growing and developing. But to deal with, to deal with that sort of, that way of thinking. So I've always believed, so in my background, I've, I've mentioned before I like playing rugby. And before I played rugby, I played every single first team game for the last 11 years. Before every single game, I'm the most capped player in that team as well. But before every single game, I started doubting my own ability. And I think, well, I can't doubt my ability because I'm the one that's been here for over many hundreds of appearances. So, yeah, I, I should be the one that people will look up to. So but it's a, I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing to, to keep you quite grounded just to make sure that you don't get sort of swept away in your own ego, because that's when you can, you'll you start to go wrong very quickly.
0: Now, we've talked about how you acquired this business rather than starting it from the scratch. But with that comes a, a whole host of its own Issues and challenges. So you've 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 come into a team that are used to being managed in a certain way. They're used to a certain way of leadership. What were some of the early challenges that you faced coming into the business as as the new owner?
1: Building trust with amongst the staff quite quickly was the biggest challenge uh, because we didn't really have twelve months to get things right. You know, like any business, you've got to be successful. You've got to make money um, because we've got wages to pay. And I think that you know from the, the previous management that were in there. Perhaps, you know, that people were demotivated and, you know, the. I came in as this sort of young upstart. And I don't think that, you know, quite rightly as well, straight away in the first day one, I don't think people thought, oh, here's the Lord and the Saviour. I think they thought, who's this guy that's going to try and tell us what we should be doing every day? So it's a big challenge. I, I, I'd argue, I would argue, um, and I've worked you know, in startups as well, but I'd argue that taking over a business and trying to change the culture and the direction Uh, And the mindset of the people already there is a bigger challenge than creating one yourself. When you decide what you're... If you start a business and you decide the direction you want to go in, you bring people on that journey. And with taking over a business and moving into a business, you've got to... People are already on a journey, probably rightly or wrongly, but they're on one. And you've got to do an about turn and go the other direction, even though they might be halfway to where they want to be. So uh, that was a huge, a huge challenge. But I'm really glad it happened because you learn so much about people and about how to deal with people, and actually you learn a lot about yourself as well. It sounds really cliche to say this. I'm conscious of that, but you learn a lot about yourself, and you actually learn what you are capable of. Um, and very quickly you learn that nothing's about you; it's about your team. And you know the culture, as I said before, I'm not, I can't take credit for the culture. I just think that the, the, the culture has come on the back of people buying into a shared value, and a shared core values. Yeah, it's been it was a, it's a big learning curve, but. It was exciting as well. Looking around, I enjoyed it. But we're just really lucky that we've got some phenomenal um, people in our business. Who I think they thought, okay, we'll give you a go. We'll see how you are, and then if we don't like you, we'll have a little bit of a kill. and We'll get you out the door anyway. <laughs> <So> <laughs> it, it was it, it was it was it was really good. And actually, one of the one of the big things for me. So when I first the first day I was there, I said there was eight advisors and there was three administrators. We've now got thirty advisors. We've got three administrators. So these, you know, I've worked with that administration team, and we, obviously we're growing that team. That, that's three full-time ones. We've got a couple of part-time people as well. But these three full-time administrators that we've got, they're like pivotal to our business. So they they were the key people to get on side very early on, because they're the people that you really need in the business. And I think people sometimes think it's like your best salesperson. You must make sure that you you get on really well with your best salesperson. But for me, it was focusing on the people that, that sort of um, that, that do the, the the heavy lifting in the business. And once we sort of got that team in place, um, one lady left and she went back to university, which, you know, good on her. I think she's doing a law degree now. Uh, and I, I, I had a lady came to me that used to work for me before. And they're a fantastic team. So once, once we sort of got to know each other and trusted each other, that, that team just like flourished. So then it was really easy for me then to spend the time with the advisors. And people often say that salespeople, particularly in our industry, they're mortgage brokers can have these egos because they can be quite high earners. So, you know, often with a high earner, you get a bit of an ego. But we never really had that in our business because people just wanted to, to do well and, and, and to, to, to have a, a better work-life balance or to earn more money or whatever it might be. So they were quite, for me, it was a relatively easy painless process. It had some challenges. And we and we, we, we said goodbye to a couple of advisors who didn't fit into what we wanted to achieve. From then obviously we've gone from eight to, to, to thirty, which would be quite quite to day for that number as well, because we're on this massive growth period right. and we need uh we need sort of good quality mortgage brokers that fit into our to our sort of way of thinking. But yeah, it was it was tough but again you learn so much. I mean you will know that people come and go, but the really good people, if you look after them, they'll look after you. And we've got some fantastic people. So if anybody's listened to this, I'm not sure that they will, because they listen, if they're in our business and they, they listen to me all the time, so they probably hate the thoughts <laughs> in their spare time listening to me. But yeah, thank you to those people because it's, uh, and it really help.
0: You've grown the business, obviously, phenomenally since you've been there. You've gone from a team of eight advisors to 30 in an industry which you know I'm part of as well, in a state agency, and recruitment isn't the easiest at the moment with regards to the people who are out there and uh, the quality of people who are out there. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in growing the team and um, what are some of the ways that you attract great people?
1: The big challenges have been finding the right people. <clears throat> We're very lucky. We actually have our own recruitment person so we, we don't outsource our recruitment. Uh, MAB supports with recruitment. They've got a great in-house recruitment team but we actually employ our own recruitment uh, recruitment guy, uh, head of recruitment, uh, who does a fantastic job. But genuinely, the easiest thing to do when you want to grow a business would be to say, right, let's type CMAP, which for those who don't know mortgages, that's the qualification you need to be a mortgage broker. Let's type CMAP or let's put a, an advert for a self-employed broker in. And anyone that applies to it will take a while and we will worry about what happens afterwards. And the reality with that is your business just becomes a revolving door. So you get two in, one will leave, and then you get one more in and two will leave, you never really moved forward it's just a, just a constant sort of revolving door of people coming and going so the challenge for us has been to make sure that we've got enough you know, business to sustain uh, lead sources for people but also to find those quality candidates because if you gen, I have interviewed far more people than we've taken on I reckon I've got a one in three one in maybe one in five sort of recruitment rate so I'll, I'll interview five people and we actually offer the position to, to one of those. Um, or a position to one of those people, and not all of them, of course, not all of them accept it. Yeah, you know, some people, you know, think that they want to move from employment to self-employment, or they want to to work for themselves, and they actually sort of comes to the crunch and they, they don't. So that's been a big challenge: is finding the people that fit into our five core values, and we've had to be really, really strict with ourselves. And and this is something that I've sort of learnt about myself, and one of the decisions that I've made that's right. So one of our lead sources we've got in the Midlands we're desperate for more people. Like we, we, we've we got so much business there. We could service two other full-time advisors. And they wouldn't have time to even think with the amount of leads we can give them. But we've deliberately not just recruited anybody. We've, actually, we've waited. I've now got a lady that's joining us that's going to be like fantastic. I spoke to her today on the phone. Uh, and one of those people, you know, I went for a coffee with her in uh, Pride Park in Derby. There's a really nice coffee shop there. Uh, we went for a coffee. And I was with her for two and a half hours. I didn't really like get a little parking ticket. Uh, excuse me what I think. <laughs> I just love parking tickets. Yeah, she, uh, she, uh, when she came along, I interviewed her. I said, yeah, that, like, it's not even an interview. It's more about I'm telling you what we're, what we're looking for. You tell me about you, and then we just have this conversation that it just flows. And when the conversation flows for two and a half, three hours, you just get to know somebody, and that's so that was. It's getting to the point now where we've got people come come to us rather than having to sort of hunt for, for people. If that makes sense, a lot of that comes down to the stuff that we do on things like LinkedIn. And we just, we, you know, I'm not suggesting that we're the best. There are far more profitable mortgage brokers uh, than us in the UK. I, I'm, I'm fully aware of that. We're not the best business yet, but we will be. And we just want people to come on that journey with us. And those people that um, want to want to work in a different way and perhaps don't want to be under that sort of, perhaps don't want to be under that sort of regime of sort of management, layers of management and reports and figures and statistics. We just want to help people. You know, if you want to come into our business, and you want to work hard, you want to achieve something special, we'll help you
0: what does the future look like for the next 12 months for you and the team at Mortgage Experts? How, how far are you hoping to take it You know, in the next year? What plans have you got?
1: So first plan, we want to grow the advice numbers again. So we're, we're actively recruiting at the moment. We want to double the number this year. I actually listened to a guy and I'll try and remember his name. His name was Kevin, uh, come back to me, Kevin something. Uh, and he was, when he was 32, so my age, he was the CEO of Porsche and BMW and these big companies. And he actually wow. gave a talk at an MX yeah, you're going to talk at an MAD conference last year. So I should be able to remember his name, but I can't. But he basically said that uh, when he took over at BMW, he asked their board what level of growth they want this year. And they said, oh, 3%, 4%, 5%. And he said, no, how about 200%. How about 100%, 200%, 300%. And actually, when you work out, it's like, why not? Like, what, what stops you doing that? So that's a big thing for us. So we want to double the number this year. That'll be a big, big challenge. But if you've not got a big challenge in your life, you're not aimed high enough, I think. That would be one thing. And the second thing would be just to make sure that we retain and keep, as we grow, we keep the, the culture that we've got at the moment, which will be probably arguably a bigger challenge. So that will be a very big beast when we've got you know 60 advisors and the support that comes with that. You're looking at a sort of 80-person business, and that will have its own challenges in terms of making sure. I mean, the culture that we've got was very easy to create with 8 to 10 people, but imagine, you know, Tripling, doubling, whatever that you know, eight people—that'll be a huge, a huge beast. So, a lot of my time and whoever comes into the business to help me with that will be spent on making sure that we don't lose the sight of our fundamental values. It, it, it'll probably that the look of the business will change a little bit, but where we can, we will we'll try and keep keep that. And then the third thing. Is to continue to work with and and grow our introducer network. So you know we're very lucky to work with some fantastic businesses such as you guys, which you know, we're really excited about this year coming up because we, obviously we you know we've got some huge plans and and what you guys have achieved last year and that's fantastic. So we're, we're looking to uh, and the exciting thing for me is to learn from those people that have, have, have from, like the sort of thing that you guys have done. So that's going to be yeah, it's gonna be a big year for us.
0: It sounds amazing. Sounds amazing to be a part of such a an engaged business that's really taken these values and, and really instilled them, but also has big plans for the future as well. So it must not be just exciting for you, but it must be exciting for everybody that's a part of that as well. So yeah, no, it, it sounds amazing. So congratulations on, on all the successes that you've had so far. Oh, it is yeah. phenomenal to hear you talk about everything. So which what are the parts of the business? I think we can tell the parts of the business that you enjoy, the motivating, the inspiring, the getting out there, the talking to the front line, the helping people achieve the goals. You mentioned earlier that there were certain parts of business that you didn't necessarily enjoy, but you realized later on those were the things that you had to do. What are those parts of business that you don't necessarily enjoy? Uh, pay the wages no, <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: now, actually you know what that's the best bit because when you when you see what some people are earning you think, oh, well done that's a good thing. I so for me the bit like any I'm a salesperson at heart, and a bit of business that that perhaps I don't enjoy as much is, is the uh, compliance side, and we're a heavily regulated industry so you don't have to enjoy it, but you have to know it and you have to do it well. And we're really, really lucky. And why we have our partnership with Mortgage Advice Bureau is because they support that massively. So we've, got, uh, we've had and have now some fantastic compliance managers that really, really help that. Because in our industry, you can't afford to be a fly-by-night salesperson because you'll just be struck off so quickly. So we get a lot of support and help with compliance uh, from NAB. Probably most, my most favourite part of the job But it's a bit that you that has to be taken seriously, and you have to give your time to it.
0: What are some of the benefits you found of being a business owner? Good question.
1: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm about to think for a while on this. No, I think my biggest benefit is is I can't blame anybody else for whether I'm successful or not. So if I'm if I'm successful, then I will be. um, It will be hopefully because of my doing. If I'm not successful, then it will be because I've not sort of put the practice or put the effort in or or done what I said I was going to do. So really, the book stops with me. Uh, and actually, I, I quite like that. That's a benefit for me, because I'll never think, you know, what if, or if I hadn't done that, you know, like this could have happened. I could have earned this amount of money. I could have done this. So that's that's probably one thing. The other benefits, it's difficult, but, like, I love my job. I absolutely love what I do. So, and, you know, don't get me wrong, hopefully in the years to come, the, the you know, the money side is one thing, and, you know, the growth and that but but the, the loving what you do, I'm really lucky. That I don't wake up on a Sunday morning and uh, Sunday, oh, sorry, I don't think it was Sunday night. About waking up on a Monday morning, about worrying about work, and uh, the days for me blur into one. Like it's 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 strange. It's not not necessarily a bad thing. It's just sometimes you can sort of lose track of where you are in the week because you you know I don't feel like I'm at work, and because I'm passionate about it and I'm passionate about what I want to do and I've got this goal in mind weeks and months and this last year in particular has just blown by like it's just been outrageous how quickly that's gone past and that's sort of a good thing because i think that shows that you're enjoying it i'm not going to save time because i think that's something that i've that i lack at the moment because being a business owner i think people think that you have this like you can have this better work-life balance and, and probably in the growth phases that's that's probably a lie because you have to put so much time and effort and and really i i don't mind that i actually enjoy that part of it but uh, and it's not about you know it's it's not a, a a competition about who does the most work and stuff but i don't mind you know getting up early in the morning doing like getting my emails done and i don't mind being you know doing work stuffing at you know, eight nine o'clock at night time because i think i hope it will pay dividends when it comes to it uh, in the future but that also that will come and actually weird that i counted my holidays last year i had less holidays than what i had if i had a a 20-day holiday a year, 20-day uh, holiday allowance. So, but again, I don't mind that. So, yeah, there's, lo- there's loads of benefits. Uh, and obviously, some drawbacks as well. But Yeah, what are um, they? There's loads of benefits. So, drawback, time's a big thing. I mean, I've just said it, but time's, time's a huge thing because you can't... Uh, I, I really struggle to switch off. There's some things I can do to, to help that, but you're always thinking about what next, what next, what have are got to do, what have got to change? I, I'm going on hold holiday for a couple of weeks' time, I'm going skiing. Uh, again, I don't see it as a drawback, but people could do, but... Like if I'm on holiday, the phone's always on, the laptop's always with me. I'll do like an hour or two every day because it's my choice to do that. But that way, I feel like I can stay on top of it, and I'm not too detached from the business, and that's that, that's that's a good thing for me. And really, learning to delegate and to let go of things is like a big drawback when you're a business owner because like you just want to be this. I would not even say I'm a control freak, but like freaking in my life, I, I would not say. That I'm a control freak, but like, certainly not at home and stuff. I go with the flow, and but at work, it's really difficult not to be because you just want to know everything about everything all the time, and it's it, it can be like it, it, It's really hard. But my biggest challenge. And I learn a lot from Sean with this, and that's why you know with my, my with my personal life, I spend my time doing stuff I enjoy because it helps me to unwind. But it can be, and you you know this, and certainly anybody that's run any level of business, that sometimes at nighttime your brain's going so fast. That, um, that you can't you can't get to sleep at night and so then then you end up falling asleep at like three in the morning uh, and you're up again at half past seven and you're thinking where did that go and then then you feel worse the next day so it's an, it's an unusual thing but yeah it, it's all worth it in the end I'm hoping.
0: Do you have any sort of daily routines or rituals that you try and stick to that you feel contribute towards your success and, and that have got to you to where you are now?
1: Yeah definitely so again like what it might look like on social media videos. I try to go to the gym, play rugby, go train twice a week, play rugby every Saturday afternoon. So I always work every Saturday morning because I've always done that since I was 18. I've worked every single Saturday morning because it takes my mind off me playing rugby in the afternoon, and I really enjoy doing that. So I try to do, to do that. Um, one of the things that I do that I learned, actually learned this from the guy that bought the bought the business from my parents. Uh, he said they have something called Frog Time. So in the morning, if you have to the analogy was if you had a a buffet, a, 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 all this food on a table with all your favourite foods and drinks, but you have to eat, eat like a horrible frog before you're allowed to, to, to eat your uh, your fancy meal, then you just do that, get it out of the way and focus on the stuff that you enjoy. And that's I've always done that. So I, I try to my emails very early in the morning because people don't reply to you then. Um, <laughs> so if, you, if you email people before 9 o'clock, they, you don't get a reply back, which is great. But I always try sort of nine, between sort of 9, 10, half 10. I'll literally spend my time doing the stuff that I see that I don't want to do, or not that I don't want to, but perhaps that, that I'm procrastinating about and putting off. So that really, really has helped me over the last couple of years. Uh, and the last thing, I know there's things like Trello and Monday that can help plan your diary, but I've got a paper diary that I write down things that I need to do that day and prioritise and, uh, and and plan my day in my head. For, I'll plan my weeks, weeks in advance, but certainly every night I'll just spend 10 minutes just going, right this is my absolutely must do's tomorrow and then i also need to do this this, and this and if i can i'll do x y and z so yeah being being like thorough and organized has really 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 helped me definitely
0: and it takes some real discipline to to eat that frog first every morning but like you say once you've got that most important thing done that you are procrastinating against then everything else tastes so much better throughout the rest of the day
1: definitely definitely yeah, absolutely and that's and then you and then you basically got 8 9 hours of your day that you just spend in doing stuff that you enjoy so it's really worth it I'm not. I'll be honest. I see some people like, yeah, like Sean. Sean goes to the gym every morning, like 5:30, 6 o'clock. And I see some people that I follow on my social media, and on my LinkedIn, that they're at the gym or they're out running at 5:30 a.m. and stuff like that. Now I'm a, I'm a night person, so I'm not. I'm quite good in the mornings. I get up nice and early, but I get my work done. So I'll go to the gym when we've we've we, we, we finished doing this, and I'll go tonight when it's when it's quite a bit later. That's the time that I find that it works better for me. But that's the key I, you know, my advice to people i think sean's really big into this so he he obviously does some fantastic things like mountains is climbed and iron men and stuff like that but he's a big believer and he spoke in a podcast that i listened to today about making sure that you have a healthy body and a healthy mind and that's that's the key i think you know you can't you can't abuse yourself in terms of like going out partying three nights a week and stuff like that because yeah you, you haven't you just haven't got the energy to, to to achieve what you want to achieve so you have to be so I've certainly over the last couple of years really sort of focused my attention on sort of you know making sure that I'm eating healthier. Don't get me wrong, like you said, I'm not got a six pack, far from it. But I, I still make sure that I'm eating stuff that, eating the right things. And you know, I still go out and enjoy myself. And on a Saturday evening after I played rugby and stuff, I'll I'll sort of have a few beers with uh with my friends, and that's my time to unwind. But I think the days of going out on a school night and you know getting after midnight and stuff—they're long gone, <laughs> absolutely long gone. Because yeah, I feel like I need my energy for.
0: the work yeah and that's i've been surprised actually about how much exercising not healthy eating to the nth degree but certainly having an awareness of what you're eating and what you eat is what you are in terms of energy and things like that has played such a key part in people's you know success at the moment it seems to be something that pretty much all of the business owners and entrepreneurs that i've spoken to so far have got a real awareness about which i've been surprised about really
1: I think a lot of that probably comes down to the, the media. And I, I don't get me wrong, I've watched Game Changers on Netflix. I then immediately became a vegan <laughs> uh, for about four days before I thought, I've got these great steaks in the fridge that I'm going to have. So for me, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not at that level. You know, I, I, so I don't think I will be. But So for me, I, I just try to, one of the things I've done, sort of learned, again, from Sean, that hydration is key. So I, I'm one of those people that I can get into my office on a Thursday. Uh, I can be there for the the at 8 o'clock. I'll get a coffee maybe in the morning, go to Costa or Nero's and get coffee. I try to just have one a day. Otherwise, I think it, affects you. it really affects me. I can't sleep at night if I've more than one. Uh, but then I can sit down at my desk and have my meetings and, and go through to sort of six, six o'clock at night time without drinking any water. Sometimes you can do it without eating. And if you do eat because you're really busy, you perhaps choose something that's not... Yeah, you know, not going really to give you the energy that you really want. It's probably not that good for you. So, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. You can look at my picture. I'm I'm not a, a GQ model, uh, but I do really think that making sure you keep yourself hydrated and you spend a bit of time looking after yourself. I've just recently got into these, you know, these meal delivery stuff. So like, yeah, like you, the prep stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's that's been fantastic for me because it's sort of somebody's taking care of your, uh, your 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 healthy body for you, aren't they? But yeah, no, I. I the role, I know people that, that don't drink, and they don't eat, they eat vegan, and they, they do all this stuff, and they don't go. And that's fantastic, but I think there's got to be, has to be a, a work-life balance. That's just my opinion. It's not, you know, it's not everybody's, but it works for me. Sort of, I, I don't deprive myself of anything. Perhaps you know, you could argue. I think if a doctor saw what I drank on the Saturday afternoon rugby, perhaps he'd have a different opinion. But I think for me, it helps me to to stay grounded and, and to spend time with my friends and. Yeah, I'm quite lucky in my, my friendship uh, circle. I've got people that have got you know business owners and, and work in senior positions. So it, it it sort of helps to to offload your mind and you know, share ideas and stuff like that. It works for me. And if if that involves a Guinness or three, then
0: yeah, it can't uh, be all work and no play, can it? There's, there's, we've got to enjoy absolutely. life as well. Well, I see I see people like
1: you know I, I follow some people on, on Instagram and stuff, and I see younger people that, that are striving to achieve something, but. It's almost like you're sort of manufacturing these business robots, and you can, you know, you, your late teens and your early 20s are some of the best times of your life that you've really got to enjoy because it doesn't come back again. And I'm not saying enjoying it means going out until six in the morning, three times a week, you know, in nightclubs and stuff, but you've got to, you, you know, you've got to enjoy yourself and have your downtime because you can't, otherwise, you burn yourself out. And, and so for me, what works well is, is you know, making sure that I, I spend my time, you know, putting putting the effort in, whether it's gym or rugby training and stuff, playing rugby on Saturday. Spent a bit of time with my friends and my family and my other half and stuff like that and, and enjoy myself. And, and holidays is, is, a big, is a big thing for me. So I, I mentioned before I didn't have loads of holiday last year, but I did have a couple of breaks, and, and that's the key for me because it just helps to recharge your batteries. And some of your best ideas come when you're, you know, when you're sitting on a beach or you're skiing or whatever you do. So for, for, for your son, some of your best ideas can come at those times. So it just helps you to sort of. I definitely come back from a holiday feeling like I'm raring to go again.
0: Yeah, no, I can definitely relate to that, especially with having the the new year and the Christmas break just gone past. You know, you're motivated, like you say, refueled, ready to get back down to business. So, Gareth, you've mentioned a few of your mentors and people that have helped you throughout your, your business career so far. You also spend a lot of time working with other successful business owners. If you could boil it down to maybe two or three attributes within yourself, within these people that you've had lots of experience with that you think are required to be successful in business, what are the sort of the top picks that you'd make?
1: Uh, I would say the first one is you've got to have a passion for what you do. So you could probably run a business relatively successfully if you don't like it. But when you lose that passion, you're on a very sort of precarious edge then. So you'll you know, you you, you soon find yourself slipping backwards. So the guys and the girls that we work with that are phenomenally successful or are on this path to success, I've got a real passion for what they do. The second thing I'd say is they're, they're all very focused. They don't make excuses. And that's a big thing for me in my life. But I, I learned this you know, from my parents and stuff. They don't make excuses as to why things happen. They they find ways to make things happen, not excuses to why they've not happened. So, again, a lot of the people that we work with have have that that mentality as well. And the most successful people I work, I work with or I know are all genuinely nice people Uh, and that sounds a very wishy-washy thing to say, but I think the days of the tyrant managing director that sits in his ivory tower and, you know, I think rolls downhill, I think they've long gone nowadays. I think the workforce and the younger generation they buy into that. I think that's a very old-fashioned way of working and I think that you get a better response from people by engaging with your staff. So again, the guys, I learned this from my parents, that, uh, that they engage massively with their staff and it was really nice to see the people that sort of thanked them for what they'd done and the starts that they gave. And I, I, I stay in touch with a lot of the people I used to work with, at, um, yeah, you know, back then. And uh, I've seen them, and they have they even had a reunion last year. Uh, that sort of stuff. It means it meant a lot to my parents, I think, definitely. But I think that not just them, but the other people we work with, the really successful people, know how to look after their staff properly, and they know how to get the best out of people. And that's not they squeezing blood out of a stone. And that's nurturing and encouraging people to grow. I, I read it somewhere, and again, I've mentioned quite a lot of quotes and you know, analogies and stuff like that. That's just how my my mind works. But I read something over Christmas, and it was successful people spend their time doing what unsuccessful people aren't willing to do, and that's the key. You know, success is not. It le- Sean Oyster. So success leads clues, and you, know, you can find find out what's working for other people. And and really successful people will happily help. And share their ideas it's not this closed group where they they keep their secrets and their cars close to the chest they're happy to help and and share ideas and, and i see estate agencies going that way massively if you look at things like you know, your podcast here you've had some fun t- i mean i listen to to everyone that you've got basically just to make sure that i didn't make a bit of a pat out myself but I, you know you've got these podcasts you've got guys like luke sinclair Stephen brown uh they, they've got the uh, state agency podcast and they're all about sharing their ideas and sharing their experience because really successful people and people that you want to learn from are willing to do that. And that's a it's an exciting time for our industry because we're in this sort of, you know, almost like a revolution of, you know, data and stuff like that where, you know, estate agency fundamentally hasn't, for a lot of people, hasn't changed 30 years. So outside of a right move replacing the Leicester Mercury or the whatever local paper you've got, and outside of a, a computer system replacing the, the Rolodex that you used to have, Estate agency have not really changed massively in that time, but I think now it, it is doing, and the successful businesses are changing, and they're they're adding value to the community. It's not just about selling houses anymore; it's about being, you know, a company that can that can help and support people, and they can learn from, and they can learn about areas and that sort of thing. So, and obviously, our industry is really closely correlated to that, and that's what we want to be. We want our advisors to be, we want the advisors to be the face of the business. I want people to know. Karen Willis, Karen Willis and Rosh Allen, uh, you know, Rajat. Well, these are the guys and the girls that we want people to recognize them as the brand, not our business, so to speak. And I think that's where our industry is probably heading. I think tech's going to play a big part of that, but it's an exciting time for us. So,
0: what's been the best piece of advice you've received?
1: Right. So, actually, this is just from the top of my head. So, often if it's, if it's the first thing that's coming to my head, it's probably right, isn't it? That's how I work. But I went to a talk once at Legal and General at Theo Gave a speech on stage uh, the dragon's den guy and he said top three advice in business was to make money have fun but don't you get to make money and that's probably been the the, the advice that i've lived by so i think you know i've learned quite a lot from outside of work so like being humble and, and staying true to your own beliefs and you know not getting dragged into the politics and that side of things but yeah i really i really think that sort of Focus on making sure what you're doing is adding value to your business. Not everything's about making money. Sometimes it's going to be about growing the business or it's going to be about making sure the people are happy. It's not a money-generating task, but just make sure that where you're heading and what you're doing. Not, don't do things for the sake of doing them. If that's the, you know, if that's, I don't want to start with like David Brent, but if, uh, if, you know, if we've got to make sure that, that what you're doing is worthwhile uh, and you're not, you're not just doing something because you've always done it. So it's just evaluating what you're doing all the time.
0: And if you could take all of those experiences and the lessons that you've learned via your own experience or from the mentors that you've had in your life, and you could go back to 21-year-old Gareth, and you could only pass on one piece of advice to him that you think would benefit him the most, what would it be?
1: My One bit of advice for people would be to do something that, you, that you're passionate about and you love, because when you do something for a job that you love, you will never work a day in your life.
0: Okay, nice. Like it. Do you read, Gareth? I do, yeah. Okay, can you pick one business book for the audience that you'd recommend?
1: Best one I've read recently, the one that sticks out, is Key Person of Influence by Daniel Priestley.
0: If you could pick one takeaway that you took from that, what would it be? I think it really is just sort of understanding the opportunity within yourself. So it's
1: like, you know, that book's about how to become a key person of influence in your industry. And sometimes I feel like, as a society, so I've been lucky that my parents, and when I've done what I'm doing now, people around me have encouraged me and, Supported like my growth, but you know, I I think I think that there's a lot of people that get sort of pigeonholed into take that job. It's nice and secure, and go and work for that business because they're a good business to work for, and they'll look after you, and you've got a steady income, and you have a job for life, and and stuff like that. And I think that that's a bit of a sad thing, really, because I think people like aren't allowed to spread their wings and and go and achieve what perhaps they could achieve. And I think reading that book for me, I I mean, I've been lucky enough to see uh, Daniel Priestley a couple of times and give a couple of talks various events and he's just somebody that i just find really engaging and easy to listen to and easy to learn from because he's not he doesn't just talk about himself he talks about what makes people like want to know like and trust you in your industry and how that could be a benefit to you and it, it just basically sort of puts all the pieces together in your head and it sort of validates perhaps a couple of the things that you think and ideas that you've got it helps to sort of re-emphasize those. I think reading. Uh, I say reading. A, a lot of the stuff that I do, I listen to. Pod, uh, listen to audio books. Yeah, you know, if you're in the gym, it's only so much. I embarrass myself by naming any. Uh, only so much George <laughs> we Marcus know what you to mean. To, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's only so much wham you can listen to whilst you're on a treadmill. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, so like you can pass the time. You know, listen to an hour of an audio book, an hour and a half. You know, when you're driving in your car, let's in radio in cars is terrible, isn't it? So mm-hmm. it's just adverts all day long. So I'll put an audio book on or a podcast or. At least, probably, I would say for me, an hour every day. I'm, I'm certainly in the car for at least an hour every day. So it just passes the time. But I may as well spend that time, it, that dead space, learning something. So, yeah, there's a few there's a few good books. I mean, there's loads that I could name. But that one for me recently, I've uh, within the last sort of six months, uh, I've read that and, and really, really enjoyed it. Uh, the other one I will name too. The other one, I read a book by Ant Middleton. Obviously, his, his background is pretty different. He's got a business background. But you also sort of lear, – I learned from that. I read it when I was on holiday last year. And you learn, like, what you can achieve if you put your mind to something. And, and like, one of the things that I've learned from that, both, again, in my personal life and my work life, is I think he was talking about when he was on a mission somewhere in, you know, probably in the Far East somewhere, but um in a hot environment. When your body and your mind is telling you – he used it in, like, a, a, an exercise concept so like when your mind's telling you to, to stop and you know, that voice is telling you that it's too hard and your body's in pain you've just got to tell that voice to shut up and that's the thing I think sometimes with, you know, I use it in my personal life but I've used it at work as well that when you're doing something and you're not getting the results from it and there's that voice in your head saying what are you doing this for, it's a waste of your time and you know that you're going to get results, you just persevere and just tell that voice just to control your inner thought it's quite a powerful thing so when you can when you can do that and you can be really honest with yourself and I think yeah, you know, I'm lucky with you know with my stepdad that I can have a conversation. He can give me advice. Uh, I'll take on probably half of it. You know, sometimes not everybody likes to hear stuff that they don't want to hear. Uh, and I always think I'm pretty good at taking criticism. But the, the the true way that you can develop yourself as an individual is when you really can take a look at yourself in the mirror and, and know what your flaws are and know what you need to do about changing them. And when you can really do that and feel comfortable doing that, it's it's like it's open drives massively in terms of what you can achieve.
0: And staying on that book theme, Gareth, if you could write a business book about your own journey so far, what would you call it?
1: Put that cake down. Uh, no, <laughs> I'd call it. <laughs> I, I'd call my, my book What If? it just be called What If? Because it's something that, again, I've not learned this from anyone. It's just these thoughts that I've had that, you know, what if you did this every day? And what if you changed that behaviour? What if you tried this? And what, we have a saying that we use using work. So we want people to do what ifs rather than if onlys. So we don't, like, if only I'd done that, and if only I'd rank three people every day, and if only I'd spent my time—we don't want excuses. It's what if, and I, I generally believe that you know people like you know Richard Branson. I don't suggest I'm Richard Branson before anybody sort of, sort of commented on that, but they've obviously created this massive, massive global business. But that—that that, that will happen to other people moving forward. And so what if we we do, we did things, we tried things, and we we broke the mold a little bit, and we kept persevering, kept improving. What would be possible if, if we kept doing that all the time? And that's the exciting bit for me. Right? So I, I want to see how far I can take this and how far what how much we can grow. And that's the that's the bit that drives me. It's like and the the where I'm really looking is that you know staying grounded is is quite easy to do because obviously you've got the day to day running of the business and that sort of stuff. But the what if bit is exciting because nobody, my parents, my mum and my stepdad, they never uh, or Sean for that matter, they don't sort of go. Yeah, that's a great idea. But why don't you just focus? I'm just getting a little bit bigger. And they're just like, yeah, go for it. See what you can achieve. And that's the that's you know, I'm looking at so I know there are people out there that, that that don't have that perhaps support and that confidence put in them, which means that, you know, sometimes they get sort of pigeonholed into roles and they probably don't realize their full potential.
0: Now, you mentioned Richard Branson there. Do you have any other sort of inspirational entrepreneurs and business people that you look up to? Yeah,
1: I do. So, but more so, not, not, nobody that anybody has ever heard from. I, I've just got, so I'm quite lucky that in my sort of, actually, before my social network, I've got people that have got businesses or very senior people within businesses. And I'm quite lucky that I obviously spend my social time with these people. And we do have, a, if I go for coffee, I have a beer with people, I can, I learn from people around me. I've met, like, CEOs you know, before. I've met some, you know, the bigger names here, the Dragon's Den type people. But for me, it's more about learning from, like, actual life experiences and seeing people who have who have created something or developed something from sort of nothing or something, from, from a very tiny acorn into a big oak tree, that are normal people that, that have, you know, maybe built a business and sold a business, but they're just like, you know, like me, you know, just normal, everyday people. They're not the global superstar. I mean, one thing that, that does sort of grind my gears, I suppose, is that... Is the term is unfortunately on social media, it has given a platform for a lot of people to sort of fake it until they make it, and I don't buy into that. So I've always been brought up that if you you can have something when you can afford to have it, so you know I don't get myself into loads of debt and stuff like that, and you know don't finance everything. That's just the way that I was brought up. But unfortunately, social media nowadays, you, you see so many like young people taking photos in lear jets and Ferraris and stuff like that, and you know that's great, but I, I think. For me, it's about sort of staying true to who you are and what you're trying to achieve. And for me, what helps me is is my network of, of friends that have, that have been through similar experiences. So obviously, my parents. I've got a few of my, my my friends that have got businesses and that have sold businesses. I've got one of my best mates who he, you know he, he works a senior position and going to hold it. I'm going to skin with him actually in March. And his partner has a, a business that's not dissimilar to ours. And yeah, they're in sort of cars and finance, which is slightly different, but we share some ideas and stuff when we're having dinner and things like that. So that really helps me. And actually, you can get, I'd encourage people. I know that there's a lot of stuff on Facebook and, and these memes that you can see about you know, surrounding yourself with people that you can learn from and that are steps ahead of you. I've been sort of buying that a little bit. But there's so much you can learn from your own network if you, if you put yourself out there and ask the question because from what i found, really successful people are happy to share.
0: You've already mentioned or you've already dropped a couple of gems throughout the interview so far, but are there any quotes in particular that you keep close to your heart and that you try to live by?
1: So I would say one of the best ones is, and I'm going to credit him because he refined this for me last week when we are on the phone, uh, Gordon Henderson, who's the uh, recruitment director at MAB. Uh, but we used to say, we used to say, you can find a way to make something happen or you can make an excuse as to why it's not happened. And Gordon refined it for me and said, you can have results or you can have excuses, but you can't have both. Actually, yeah, I nice. think that's really quite powerful. So yeah, I do like, like it. that. Uh, so that, that's one. Uh, we use that quite a lot. And I think really the other... Yeah, you know, other other things that we use is yeah, you know, going back to our core values again. We I keep talking about people being the best versions of themselves, and I want to be the best version of myself. And but obviously, with everybody, there will come a stage where you reach your sort of your summit, your risk, You you get to your level, and you know you maybe you can push on a little bit more from there. And I just want to find out what mine is and just see where I can get to. So yeah, you know, I think it's just about telling yourself you know you can you can achieve something and and keep pushing yourself forward and that's the thing the voice that I hear in my head every day is like what if like you know what if you did if you did this now what if we we put ourselves out there to go and work with this big state agency business and yeah it'll be a challenge It'll be a lot of hard work it'll be a lot of time a lot of hours but what if we did it really well what could happen then so that's probably the other one the, the what if thing.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an amazing mindset to have. I love it. It's uh, It's been really inspiring to hear you talk about it so passionately as well. Now, I've just got a couple more questions before we wrap up for this evening, Gareth. So first one being, if you could summarize again, all the lessons, the experiences, the challenges, the triumphs, the successes, the failures, the learning so far, and you were sat in front of somebody who's about to start in business, and you could summarize three things that you could pass on to them that you feel would help them get off to the Best start and build a great business and be happy within themselves. What would it be?
1: So for me, and I'm quite, I'd like to think obviously I'm quite early on in my my journey so far. I mean, I've worked in this industry for 15 years, but I would say is first of all, keep that passion alive. So if you find something that you don't enjoy doing, find someone to help and support that, so that you can focus on the bits that you really love. The second thing would be find what your path is and drive it. So if, don't let things, to, to leave things to chance. Don't take your eye off the ball is probably a good way to to do that. Uh, and the, the, the biggest thing is just don't be complacent because the, I think we're going to see this revolution over the next sort of three to five years of younger people, uh, you yeah, know, the people that are born in the 90s that are now coming, negative business owners, and this young um, generation of business owners are going to be something different and they're going to be something quite special and if you leave things to chance somebody younger than you and more passionate with more energy is going to take your business from you so that is a, a big a big thing for me So to is to make sure that i stay still the top of my game and actually to listen to these people and to, to realize you know what the opportunities are there because you know you have seen the reason that you guys are so successful is because you're different to to, to to your competition. If you just rely upon this is the way it's been and everything comes back round, it's cyclical, you'll, you'll be out of business very quickly. So it's listening to the people that, listening to the, those people that the, the up and comers often, you know, yeah, they've got a long way to go. And I feel like I'm right in that I'm on like the second step of my 10 step journey in my, in my head, but I want to listen to those people that are on step eight or nine and, and find out what they've done so well but also like work out their flaws and sort of work out what what could drag them back down to a 5 or a 6 and make sure that I don't make those mistakes that's is that two things I got to give one more uh, the third thing would be as well is to get yourself a mentor whether you pay for it whether it's somebody you know a family member but it when it's your business and you're accountable to nobody it is tough. It really is difficult, and just to sort of have somebody to run ideas past and to discuss things with. It might be another business owner that you work with. It might be somebody that's you know you've worked for in the past that supported you. could be family. I've got a couple. I've got Sean. I've got my my stepdad, my mum. I've got friends that have got successful businesses. So I'm really lucky that I that I have that that network of people around. But it's been it's worth its weight in gold to me because. Sometimes I can go for maybe go for a partner with my myself on a Sunday afternoon and we'll say, I've got this idea and listen to it. And in my head, it's the best thing that's ever happened. And he'll just mention one thing and I'll go, yeah, I've not thought about that, actually. So i probably need to do a bit back to the drawing board. Uh, or sometimes I'll have an idea and I'll go to Sean and go, Sean, how about this? What if we tried this? And he'll go, fantastic, let's, let's do it. And it gives you that confidence and passion to, to run with an idea. So definitely my top one would be get a mentor.
0: Okay, amazing. Three great insights there. Thank you for sharing that. And my final question for today, Gareth, if people want to find out more about you and find ways of connecting with you or find out more about the service that you and the team offer at Mortgage Experts, where can we find you?
1: I suppose the easiest way is LinkedIn. So I'm quite active on LinkedIn. I'm on there every single day. So you find me on LinkedIn, Gareth Love. Or if people, you know, if people want to have a chat about you know, working as a mortgage broker, or how we can support, it's not just the estate agencies who work with solicitors and accountants and all different people. They can anybody can drop me an email. My email address is Gareth. Dot Love. The number one at M A B. Dot U K. But yeah, LinkedIn is probably easiest because I'm on that all the time. But yeah, happy to have a chat with everybody.
0: Yeah, and for any of those links, email addresses, books that we've mentioned or any other resources, all of those will be included in the show notes at benjaminbrain.co.uk forward slash Gareth love. That wraps it up for tonight. Gareth, I just want to thank you so much for taking out your time to to join us on The Truth About Business. Thank you for being so honest and open and sharing your own experiences and truth so far. I've, I've loved every moment of it and I, I feel fired up. I feel passionate I feel inspired to go in and get some some serious work done. So thank you for joining us.
1: No, thank you. i will try get my ego out the door now, but thank you very much.
0: No, it's, it's genuinely been amazing. And I just want to wish you and the team all the best of success for the future. I know we're going to be keeping in regular contact anyway. So who knows, there might be a part two down the line. And as always, thank you to all of the listeners. Really appreciate your support and uh, look forward to catching up with you on next week's episode of The Truth About Business. One final thing before you go, if you enjoyed this interview and want to make sure you don't miss out on the next episode with another real-life business champion, make sure you subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, your favourite podcast app, or by visiting my blog at benjaminbrain.co.uk and hitting subscribe. At the blog, you'll also find the show notes to this episode, which includes all the relevant links to the website, social media channels, contact details and anything else that was discussed in the episode just type in the name of the guest and that will bring that right up for you and finally i'm always on the search for great business owners who would be happy to spare just a couple of hours of the time to share their business experience with our audience so if you know of anyone that would make a great guest or you'd like to feature yourself just let me know send an email to hello at benjaminbrain.co.uk and i'll reply personally as soon as possible Also, if you've got any feedback, questions that you'd like me to ask our guests or any other suggestions, I am definitely all ears. That email address again is hello at benjaminbrain.co.uk. So that's it for this episode. I just want to thank you sincerely for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Stay hungry, stay fearless, get out there and make it happen.